Human beings have been sharing stories for hundreds of thousands of years. And with those stories came the emotional, spiritual, and physical knowledge of the ancients. Shaman Durek, a sixth generation shaman and best selling author of Spirit Hacking, bridges the gap between science and spirituality and brings us back to our roots. He's here to bring forth the ancient wisdom of our elders, to help heal and bring happiness into our modern society. The time has come to end codependency and put the power back into people's hands. Welcome to the tribe. What is the shaman school? No. You're not going to be studying to pursue a career in shamanism or to bang a drum. The definition of shamanism is one who understands relationship. The shaman school offering reminds you how to have a better relationship with things and how to nurture these relationships, whether it be with yourself, the food you eat, the people you meet, your ancestry, community, the global community, animals, nature, and so forth. My goal is to demystify spirituality, to add a bit of science and understanding of how things operate in the energetic planes. The Shaman School's no nonsense teaching explores all faculties of experience from the physical, the emotional range, the mental capacity for information, dialogue, lexicon, energy, perception, awareness, how to understand the energy of currency, and so much more. Fundamental education teaches the basics that we need in society how to read, write, add, subtract, pay our bills, or how to become doctors, artists, mechanics, etc. But the Shaman School is a school that we all should have been a part of, one that offers the additional tools needed to better understand who we are, why we think the way we do, what's going on behind the scenes, and what we are actually seeing and processing. Are you living well? Are you paying bills just to keep the roof over your head? Are you in a relationship but not fulfilled? Satisfaction cannot be lowered anymore by the inability to recognize possibility. Living well means fulfilling your ideas and your goals and your dreams and having the best time doing it. In the Shaman School, I've extracted the best from all of the world philosophies, religions, spiritual teachings, and theories, offering a juice without pulp that will empower your life. The Shaman School invites you to a world where you're able to seize the tools of understanding, where you're able to have fun and have more because you deserve more. Go to shamandurek.com and click on the Shaman School for the first step toward ultimate happiness and an understanding of your truest self. Let's make things easier and not harder for our life. We deserve that. See you soon.
everyone. This is Shaman Durek speaking to you directly. Welcome, tribe. I love you so much. Life is so beautiful because we're in it and we're here to win it. Speaking of winning it, when we think about what's going on in the world, we mustn't get so dismayed and so caught up in the nonsense, realizing that everything is there that's happening, that any forces are using to manipulate and control humanity is also serving us on some level for the purpose of waking up the mass load of people, which definitely need to wake up and see the truth of what this world is and how we are going to navigate it and how we are going to thrive through it and how we're going to support each other with our gifts and our powers so that we can be triumphant for ourselves, for our children, and for all the generations to come. We are at the forefront of a great conjunction, a shifting point in our evolution, which is taking place within the next three to four months, which is a high time where you will see a lot of people on the planet who are going to be going through all types of um, feelings of guilt and shame and releasing these energies on a mass load. I mean, even down to the point of people trying to blame other people for choices that they themselves need to be responsible for. What we have to understand is that a lot of times what happens with people is that they will look for other people to blame for the things that they don't want to take responsibility for. And we've done that for so long on our planet. And now we're coming up to this breaking point where you're going to see a lot more people doing that. They're going to be blaming you, naming you, shaming you, and making you the, the problem for their problem. And this is where we get into social responsibility, where we get into really taking responsibility for how we're operating as individuals and how we're bringing about new information and technology of the mind so that we're not going into these very duplicit places of behaviors that are contrary to our evolution, but we are actually actualizing ourselves through the process of love and understanding and compassion and recognizing that every person who's triggered you or irritated you or has made you feel uncomfortable on some level has done that on some deeper spiritual level that is there to assist you and being able to move through whatever types of resistances, judgments, or fears you've been holding on to. So this is a, a really good time to be able to maneuver ourselves through this, this kind of field of energy that we're passing through, which is starting. And what we have to realize in this process is that every time we see something that has irritated us or hurt us or we feel trauma from or any of these things, we also have to thank the person and be grateful for the fact that they signed up to play that role for us so that we can get to a different place within ourselves. And that place could be us setting more boundaries or being more loving to ourselves or really switching the way in which we operate in the world. It could be a multiple of things. And uh, the thing that's most important not to go into is the dwelling energy. Dwelling in suffering, dwelling in, in pain, dwelling in the hurts of the past, dwelling in the trauma that you hold on to. And the reason why the trauma stays there is you continue to dwell in it. You continue to look for the big question mark as to why. Look, here's the deal. <laughs> The 
why factor of suffering has no conclusive evidence that supports you coming out of the suffering by having that information. A lot of times I've seen people ask for people to apologize to them, thinking that was going to be enough for them to let go of the pain that that person had caused. And it wasn't because it's not about the apology. It's about the acceptance and it's about knowing that everything that's happening is supporting you. And when you judge yourself and compare yourself to other people's lives and go, well, that didn't happen to them, so it's not fair... You have to understand you're not accepting the fates. The fates are real, powerful beings that are basically having all of the things that are happening to you in your life set you up for your ultimate self of what you will uncover if you follow your heart and follow the path through love. But most people follow the path through fear or anger or dwelling or feeling that like life has treated them unfairly. And they go into all these parallels and all these thoughts of what they think should be versus what they see in another person's life from what they see in their life. You have to accept what is showing up in your life for the fact that you are here to transmutate, alleviate, and eliminate any energy frequencies of dense matter that are holding pain, trauma, suffering, abuse, I mean, you name it, in that field. So, right, so getting off the wheel of suffering requires us to be able to be comfortable understanding suffering and all of these things from a different perspective. That being said, we then get to open ourselves up to this amazing energy that's available to us once we start embarking upon that. So what the key element is, is not to keep going back into trying to find the question mark of why mommy and daddy weren't good and how come they didn't spend enough time with you or how come you didn't get loved or why did this horrible thing happen and why it was unfair and why these things happened to you but didn't happen to other people and it's not fair. Your life has been tarnished and hurt and you know and abused but other people haven't had that and you have and all these types of comparisons are not supporting you accepting the fates the fates is accept what happened understand what happened not from the perspective of getting the question mark answered of why it had to happen but how it's supporting you to turn it around and utilize it as fuel and as power in order to move the, the what we call the evolutionary scale forward, right? So shifting out of the mindset of victimness and shifting into the mindset of evolution. I've taken on a lot of abuse in this life and I've taken on a lot of things, pain, hurt, sickness, you name it, all for the purpose of transmutation and understanding how to eliminate fears, limitations, lack, and belief systems that were put in place to keep people in subjugation or in the place of feeling depleted or whatever it may be. And transmuting that to teaching people how to maneuver themselves through those things. And trust me, it hasn't been easy from the perspective of sometimes my mind gets caught up in the idea of, is it possible? Can I? Is, is it going to happen? You know, that people say it's, it's this and people say it's that. And when I hear that part of my mind talking, when I hear the idea of people say this and people say that, 
these people who say these things, these books that that read these things, are they the ultimate truth of what is necessary for me to evolve into a higher intelligent being? Or are these just things that people are saying and books that are saying things that have no true evidence to me being able to evolve into this higher evolutionary being of intelligence and emotional intelligence and the ability to understand the difference between what love is and what love isn't and move myself out of this field of fear and into this place of love. So I get to garner the success, not from the idea of stepping on other people or pushing people around to get where I need to go, but from a place of acknowledging the power and love that exists within me and exists within everyone and beginning to live that life, not living in fear of humanity, but living my life in cooperation with humanity and nature and spirit and so forth. So as we embark upon this new horizon, as we move through these conjunctions, we mustn't get ourselves caught up in the the nonsense, the Maya of it all, right? That means that when you start seeing people acting out this way, just simply say, you know, I love you. And I know that you're coming into a deeper place with yourself where you can accept and love yourself as you are without pointing the fingers or looking at other people in in different ways to make yourself feel comfortable instead of just looking at the things inside of yourself where you're limiting, restricting, and holding yourself back from true ultimate liberation. And then really look at that, that liberation from the standpoint of Are you not being liberated because you're afraid of what your parents may say or your guardians may say or your friends and your peers and all the system that is around you called society, what they would think and say if they were to know that you aren't following what everyone else is following. You're not here to be sheep. You're not here to follow the herd. It was never meant for you to do so. So if you have been doing that, I would give you a a wonderful suggestion to stop because it is only leading you off of a cliff because not everyone's signature is aligned for the greater purpose of that herd. That means that the herd is following a programmed uh, situation that is set up to give them an idea of more security and safety. Safety and security does not operate the same way it does on planet Earth. Safety and security is based on the individual person's perspective of what safety and security is. It may not be the same for every person. So when some people are looking at what's going on in the world, they'll listen to the news, they'll listen to other people, and they'll say, okay, you know what, I'm going to do that because everyone else is doing it, so I might as well do it too, without really checking in with themselves and saying, is this really safety and security for me, or is this what I think safety and security is, so therefore I'm going to follow everyone else's cue. And the key element in order for us to be able to sustain and be able to continue thriving so that we can move into these higher intelligent waves of evolution and be able to make those quantum leaps through all of the experiences that we're going through on earth is for us to be able to seek our true nature despite being ostracized, despite being cast aside or judged or limited by people's views and opinions. 
What we have to understand is as we rise out of this conjunction, we are moving more into the core nucleus of what has been limiting us as a, a global um, citizenry of people on planet Earth. That means that as we are the global citizens of Earth, right, we have to realize that each and every one of us is going through a parallel of dysfunction that is being created by our need to hold on to some form of suffering that we witnessed in our childhood that we feel that we have to hold on to and understand until we finish the question mark. And then we think once we get that question mark answered, we're going to be able to be free from the entanglement of that pain or that trauma or that hurt or that disappointment or that let down or that feeling of scarcity or lack or limitation or whatever it may be that we've taken on from our family and our authority figures. But we're able to actually transmute that by having that question mark answered. And the question is absolutely not If you go to answer that question, you will stay in a perpetual state of suffering. The question that you have to ask yourself is, why do you feel you need the answer to that question? Do you really think it's going to free you from the trauma, the pain, the hurt, the lack, the limitation, the scarcity thinking, the poverty consciousness, and whatever else you've been opening up in your life because of what you experienced in your childhood? The answer is no, you're not. And the thing is, you are only going to be repeating the course of action through yourself, making the same phantom choices based on those phantom impulses. So those phantom choices basically means you have phantom impulses governed by someone else's energy field that you are making decisions based on their energy field so you can understand why they were captivated by whatever it is they were captivated by that has caused them not to love you or to hurt you or to limit you or to create words that would actually um, hurt you in some abusive way or physical actions or so what be it. So what we have to understand is in order for us to move through this energy, we have to let go of the question mark. We have to be like, you know what? I don't care. Those are the choices you made. And I'm just going to accept that that's what you did. And I'm going to live my life and get to know me and keep enhancing love because the more I enhance love, the more powerful I become. I'm not going to sit back and let myself be taken by that question mark that I could spend the rest of my life figuring out and never really getting the answer to and staying in a perpetual state of dwelling, which will only cause more suffering and attract more entities and more energies that will keep me stifled and hold me back and limit me from being able to see the potential of my being and what I'm able to create and what I'm able to um, to bring forth into this world for higher evolution. It's a choice. You got a choice. You got a choice. Yes, you do. And in that choice, you get to make a decision if you are going to be the part of society that operates in that that mentality of tell me how I'm supposed to feel and I'll feel it and suffer as you tell me to suffer or I'm not going to do as you tell me to do. I'm not going to believe as you tell me to believe. I am going to step into a new horizon of thought and recreate a new structure of intelligence that will allow me to be able to enhance the lives of both my sisters and brothers, as well as every being on this planet, including nature and animal, by opening up a new understanding of intelligence, not from the perspective of fear, not from the perspective of ostracizing someone when you don't understand 
abandon them or dismissing them or dividing them or limiting them or holding them back or calling them names and making fun of them because you're threatened by them. No, no, no. But by being able to operate into a space of universal cooperation, being able to see people for their highest level of intention, even if they cannot see it, being able to support people, hold people, love people, and be able to give them that what they need to be able to generate the amount of frequency and energy so that they can be the powerful master that they were born to be. Because when they are the master, they are able to also support us as well. So therefore, it becomes a win-win for every human being on the planet that we begin to support one another with our powerful gifts and our powerful attention for intention to create and to be able to expand more consciousness in the universe. And do we have this power to move through these times with ease and grace? Absolutely. But first, we have to look at the places where we keep looking for those question marks. So I encourage you to get a book or something out and ask yourself, what is the question marks you're trying to answer in order to give yourself liberation and freedom? And why can't you just give that to you now without answering those question marks? Do you really need to know why your mom dated all those bad people? Do you really need to know why your father made bad choices with money? Do you really need to know why that person molested you or did things to you? Do you really need to know why that person stole from you and hurt you? Do you really need to know why your family went through so much loss? Do you really need to know? Because in all that knowing, are you taking on the energy frequencies and making the phantom choices in the, in the phantom impulses that are making you make the choice to be continue bringing those types of energies into your life? Or are you just done? You got to ask yourself that question. That is the main question mark you have to answer is, are you willing to be done with the question mark and all aspects of your life? that have been holding you and other people's energies and not giving you what you need to live your life. Let go of the question mark and live today. Love you. Hey Tribe, so the Tribe wants to hear from you. And I know a lot of you are talented out there in music and poetry and recipes and ideas and just, you know, things that you want to share with the Tribe. You can send that information to info at shamandurek.com and share your gifts with the Tribe. Love you all and stay lit. Hey Tribe, we have another amazing song called Ready For For Freedom. It's about a journey to sovereignty, waking up to who you are and detaching from the system. You can find them on Instagram at B-R-E-N-D-A-N-E-T-T-I-E or on Spotify as Countess Hyen Badu. And that's C-O-U-N-T-E-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-
Tribe, we're going to take a short break to hear from one of our amazing sponsors who is Lit Verified. The Lit Verified store is open. But what does Lit Verified mean? Lit Verified is an acknowledgement and stamp of approval by the tribe. I have tried each of these products and they are the best. 
Lit Verified products vary from beauty, technology, clothing, food, health, and wellness, and anything that is ethically sourced, organic, maintained, and sustainable. Not every product offered to the team passes the Lit Verified test. No, not at all. Every Lit Verified product is carefully researched. Every CEO has been met with. Every ingredient carefully looked into the process production of all of it. I have seen the impact these vendors are making. Their vision and ethics are aligned with our tribe, with people who are consciously supporting community and want to make a difference in our world and make it a better place for us. Lit Verified products are ethically sourced and meet the highest industry standards. When purchasing Lit Verified products, we give back by creating sustainability and by leading the world to make better choices. You can be confident that you're buying into a company that supports a vision for change, not just a company that wants to line their pockets with money. We live in a time where we are oversaturated by commercials, TV, and social media, where far too many celebrities and influencers are endorsing things they know nothing about and things they might be doing damage to people, to the earth, and to animals. With Lit Verified, we've taken that doubt out of the equation. You're not only getting the best, but you're also doing the best. Pick up your awesome Lit Verified items at shamanduric.com and click on the link that takes you to Lit Verified. Love well, tribe. All right, tribe. Time to hear from our special guest. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Ancient Wisdom. I'm Shaman Durek, and I'm happy to be here with an extraordinary, powerful woman who is really creating change in our world and bringing about an understanding of how we are here to socially impact life. It is Tiffany Yu, and she is a podcaster. She is a disability advocate and three times TEDx speaker. She has served on the San Francisco Mayor Disability Council since 2000. 2019. And I am so happy to talk, to share with her, to talk with her, to get involved in everything that she's here to present to us, why she's such an extraordinary woman and why she's on the podcast today. And I'm going to dive into everything she's gone through and everything that she's doing. And I'm so happy and so honored to have such a powerful woman who is making waves and change in life by being on this planet. Welcome, Tiffany Yu. Thank you so much for having me. I feel like I'm going to I'm going to take that intro and it's going to be it's going to play on repeat every morning when I wake up. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's a good thing, you know, to have to have that because I think sometimes we don't really uh, take enough time to acknowledge all the things that we do as human beings and I think it's really important. So I'm 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 happy that you are going to do that just to be completely honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm so excited to have you on today to share your voice with the tribe and for tribal members that don't know, um, can you please share about your background and the adversity that led you to be an advocate for disability? Mm, Great question. So I first want to start by sharing that I am the youngest daughter of a Taiwanese immigrant and a refugee from the Vietnam War. And that will come and make sense a little bit later. Uh, and I see Shaman Dirt clapping. And uh, and so I was born in the U.S. here to make my parents' dreams come true. 
And at the age of nine, I was involved in a car accident. My dad was driving. We were dropping my mom off um, at the airport for a business trip. And on the way home, he lost control of the car. Fortunately, it was a single vehicle car accident, no other cars involved. Unfortunately, he passed away. I ended up acquiring a whole slew of injuries from the accident. I shattered a couple bones of my leg, uh, the femur, which is the big one in your thigh, and the tibia, which is the bone right under your knee. Those bones healed. Uh, I also permanently paralyzed one of my arms. It's a type of spinal cord injury known as a brachial plexus injury. And then much, much later, I would actually discover that I would be diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder related to the accident. And I wanted to kind of bring in my Asian cultural background into this because for 12 years after I became disabled, my mom did not want us to tell anyone about the car accident. And I think by not having a place to let the story come out of my body, it ended up festering for a long time and then ultimately ended up you know, resulting in PTSD. Although I will say there's a stat out there that says about 10% of people who experience trauma also experience something called post-traumatic growth. And through, you know, you call it adversity, I actually didn't label it as trauma until almost 20 years after it had happened. Um, I call it childhood trauma. I feel like I found, I've, I found an identity in my body um, I love the way that you open this in terms of saying we need reminders of how awesome we are. And so every single day I'm reminding myself, here are all the reasons, Tiffany, why you like yourself. And so in a society that's telling me whether it's as an Asian woman or in a disabled body, that something is not right with me or something is broken and needs to be fixed. I'm here to say the fact that I exist is the reason why I'm I'm fully whole. <laughs> You know, I have to say, um, I'm really glad that you're talking about the Asian heritage. I think it's something that needs to be spoken about a lot more. And I'm so glad you're honoring it with pride. You know, what was it like for you, you know, because I because I know I grew up in an Asian family. So I know that there's always these little secrets that we keep like, you know, they, it's like it's like I remember when I was a kid and my, my family was always about like, no, you don't say that. Don't tell people that. Don't say this. Don't do that. And I was like, what what is this? Why are we living in this shroud of of secrecy, you know, and it was all about not drawing attention to the family, not drawing attention to the situations, you know? So what was that like for you as this woman that you are Mm. who lost her father, who's recovering and being able to go through the process of mourning? Because in the process of mourning anyone, we have to be able to share and to talk and to, and to go on some form of discovery. How did you go into that space of losing your father while going through all of that pain and, and feeling fractured because you were, Mm. um, and being able to access that level of discovery and truth for yourself? Mm. You know, I get some version of this question around how did a nine-year-old girl deal with all of this? And To be honest, I don't think I did at the time. It really was only until 2018. So there was a lot that happened in that car accident. You know, uh, two of my three siblings were also in the car. So it was like uh, dad passing away, changes in my body, healing that needed to happen in my body as well. The grief of not only the loss of a parent, but also this childhood in a way. 
And so I, again, potentially, potentially influenced by my Asian cultural background. I do remember being at my dad's funeral. I was wheeled up to his coffin in a, um, in, in my wheelchair. Cause my, my bone, the, the bones of my leg were broken at the time. And I didn't, I didn't cry at the funeral. That's actually something I distinctly remember as a nine-year-old girl. And I got wheeled up and I said, hi, daddy, it's Tiffany. And after that particular point in time, you talked a lot about secrecy that exists within Asian families. My mom went around and told everyone that my dad was away on an extended business trip. And so how does a young girl marry what she knows happened with what the matriarch, you know, the person who I was looking to for modeling was going about and telling, right? And I needed to follow her because my life was dependent on her. And in retrospect, I have a lot of respect for my mom. The fact that she raised four kids, the fact that I'm here getting to talk to you. She had to make so many sacrifices, but she did it the only way she knew how, which is don't let anyone into your pain. Don't show anyone your pain and just tough it out. Right. Yeah. Un- un- unfortunately, I grew up very westernized and now I'm very in t- I want to be in touch with my body. I want all the therapy. So it really wasn't until 2018. So this is 21 years after my dad passed away that I read a book called Option B by Sheryl Sandberg. It's all about, you know, exploring how different people embrace or overcome different types of adversity. She had just lost her uh, her husband at the time. And after reading that book, it made me realize that I had never properly grieved the loss of my dad. I spent so much time fixated on the changes in my body and my disabled body and, and I guess like growing into the embodiment of myself, mm-hmm. but, but kind of left that part of my family history behind. So 2018 to present, I still want to say I, on, I honor my dad. I had an experience right before the pandemic started where I climbed Mount Kilimanjaro. And on summit day, as I was climbing to the top, I had one of our porters and one of the men in our group kind of carrying me like arm in arm on those final steps to the summit. And I kind of had this moment and maybe it was altitude where I just thought, wow, my dad loved being outside. He taught me how to ride a bike. He uh, taught me how to swim, loved hiking the CNO canal. I grew up in the DC area and I have spent the past 20 plus years being angry that he left us too soon. When in reality, he's right here in me on this mountain. Um, And I actually think that, to be honest, was me moving through my grieving process where I spent 20 years being in this nine-year-old angsty, I'm mad at you, dad, energy, to then being like, you know what? Everything that I love doing that is providing me enormous amounts of healing is because he gifted that to me. That's so beautiful because in shamanism, there's an, a truth or an understanding, which is if you want to connect with your ancestors or a family member who is past, you do the things they loved to do. And so we say that in that moment, they're doing it with you. Mm. And it's a very nostalgic, very um, awakening, a very heartfelt experience of acknowledging 
that yes, we are these, these amazing beings who live our lives for whatever time it may be, but we're never disconnected from the people that we love. If we are to remember them in the things that they loved, we connect back into their love that merges with our love. And it's really quite, it's, it's really quite wonderful. My question to you in when you were going through all of that, because yes, because that's always the stage that people always have when they're going through some type of trauma or situation is that that stage of anger, right? You know, I know for myself, I um, had a situation where I was in a wheelchair for a period in my life and I had to depend upon other people to bathe me, to, to dress me, to, you know, to provide for me and do things for me because I was in this chair and then it was only until I got stronger with my arms and things and so forth that I could actually move around and get things done. But there was always this, this frustration, and anger through the process of what has happened. My question to you is, do you feel that as human beings, we all go through different experiences? Those experiences are passageways into a deeper relationship with ourselves and what's valuable and authentic. Can you talk about that? Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, if I look at, so I recently gave a talk called The Problem with Positivity. Now, I don't want your listeners to leave here thinking that positivity is bad, but what I think that I did after the car accident is what I call internalized toxic positivity. So I didn't let anyone into knowing how I was actually feeling because I wasn't allowing myself through those pathways, those passageways, as you talk about them, I ended up, there's, there's a saying or not a saying, there's something that I say where I feel like I just sat on the sidelines of life. I was kind of like a shell of a person because I wasn't letting anyone in to connect with me. And I, I wasn't, so I have recently reconnected with a couple people I've gone to high school with and mi middle and high school. And they're like, Tiffany, I knew about your arm, but I didn't know about the car accident. And what's, what that is reinforcing to me is that I couldn't be who I couldn't be who I was in those years, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's really only in these latest couple of years that first of all, I started following your work and I started to get more in touch with myself to say, Anger is okay and healthy. Sadness is okay and healthy. Grief, mourning, okay and healthy. How can I let myself feel them so that I can be the fullest embodiment of who I am? Yeah, I'm happy to hear that because, you know, there's something that I notice a lot, even with what's happening in the world today. A lot of people, and this happens within people who are also in the service um, industry for health and wellness and all of these different things, is that, and even for myself as a shaman, there is an understanding that we have on earth, which is we don't want people to suffer. So instead, what we do is we play small to make it comfortable for them so that they don't have to suffer. Instead of realizing that suffering is also believing in the person, like being okay with their suffering is also believing in them, having faith in them as a human being that they're going to move through whatever passageway they're going to move through so that they can become even more stronger, more wiser, more powerful, more gifted, you know, more lifted, more shifted the whole bit. Right. 
And that when we actually are doing that, we give permission for ourselves to be able to show our power or show examples of power, show examples of strength and courage and so forth without feeling that the other person is going to be uncomfortable or they're not going to get it or they're going to feel, you know, so it's like, it's interesting in society, but it's like the way we've operated in society is that if someone is going through suffering Another person feels bad for choosing to show the opposite of what could be when you move through that suffering. So they'll choose to suffer too. And another person will choose to suffer and another person will choose to suffer. And before you know it, everyone is sitting in the same, you know, field of suffering, as I would say, and the achievement of wisdom and power and courage and strength and spiritual aptitude, which we call evolution and shamanism is not obtained. What do you, what are your thoughts around that? Wow. That, that is so powerful. I, I, I just love, I'm like, can this just be you speaking the whole podcast? Um, <laughs> there, there is a quote that I really love that I actually think relates to this, but I resonate a lot with this idea of playing small. Um, and now I am able to see what the possibility is of what it's like to actually sit in, sit in my space and fill it. But the quote is from someone named Francis Weller. And he says, the work of the mature person is to carry grief in one hand and gratitude in the other and to be stretched large by them. How much sorrow can I hold? That's how much gratitude I can give. And I may have messed up the end of the quote. But what I love about that is the fact that if you are sitting in enormous amounts of suffering, you can also sit in the possibility, the other side of it, uh, the full embodiment of who you are. And it actually wasn't until the pandemic that I found this quote. And now I revisit it a lot because like many of us, I feel like I experienced periods of anxiety during this pandemic, but I'm also saying, okay, here's something that my body is experiencing right now. Here's how anxiety feels. Anxiety is a visitor in my house. I open the door for them and then I show them into my backyard and then they go off on their way. Right. Uh, and so if I can experience those periods of anxiety, I can experience those periods of calm on the other side of that as well. So so that's kind of how I how I view all of this is, you know, there have been times earlier. So I didn't tell anyone about the car accident for 12 years in those first couple of years of sharing the story of the car accident. It always came through tears and I, I don't have any shame around crying. I think that's what needed to come out at the time. But when I would go and watch videos of myself, sometimes I would just feel it in my heart, feel that sadness and that pain that this nine-year-old girl felt. But then I look at my, where my life is now. Um, and, and again, I think of, okay, if she can experience that level of pain, then 33-year-old Tiffany can experience this level of joy. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm really glad the way you said it was so just poignant, poetic, and powerful just really potent, you know, it's the PPPs, you know, because literally we have such a dilemma on the earth when it comes to understanding that, you know, that we go into the cycle of, of trauma, you know, which is what something I want to ask you about, you know, when we think about trauma, people think about trauma and they think, okay, I got hurt, but then they, and then they go to post-traumatic stress disorder and they don't understand that the post-traumatic stress disorder is the fear of experiencing that trauma again, 
or re- and how having to even experience that it even happened, like the actual reality of it happening. And so we store that into our muscles, into our joints, into our, you know, our nervous system. I mean, it can, it can be stored in our organs. I mean, it, it's quite, it's quite an interesting thing. And the reason why we actually have trauma is because we haven't been given the ability to emotionally identify and mentally relate to the experience of trauma and as a a part of us going through healing or going through some process of healing, we haven't been given that in our childhood. We haven't been given that space because whenever a child cries or goes into emotional spaces, parents mostly will say, okay, honey, I'm here. I'm here. You know, I've got the band-aid. I got the, you know, the, this and the, that. And we're, so we're, we're really good as a society of people covering things up. So when we see disabled people or we see people going through pain, a lot of times people will turn a blind eye to it because they feel guilty. They feel uncomfortable. They feel they don't know how to handle. And I'm going to use that word very strongly, what they're seeing and experiencing in another person, because they don't have the coping mechanisms that we all should have been trained with from the moment we scuffed our knee on the playground in school. Did you find through your experience people being more in the sense of feeling sorry for you and going through that? And how did that affect you versus people who were there holding space for you with an understanding of how that would support you in you being able to move through post-traumatic stress disorder, trauma, and be able to go into that awakening process that we go through when we go through post-traumatic stress disorder? Mm, That was such a powerful question. I think what's coming... So the first thing I want to say is I love how you named how people feel uncomfortable with the visible manifestation of disability, or some people do. And one of the things that I want to highlight is nuance, which is I don't want people to look at me as a disabled person and think that's tragic. I think it's okay to look at the fact that I was in a car accident as a kid as a tragedy, but the fact that I currently exist in this body is not. So I just wanted to name that nuance first. And it well really, done. And, and, it. and it ties into your question, which is because people viewed my body, again, maybe not even having context about how I became disabled, they just viewed it, they automatically thought pity, victim tragedy. And the way I talk about this is I feel like I got an easy button through life. And so one of the experiences that I actually think perpetuated my PTSD was I was always the last kid picked for my physical education class growing up. And my mom would write me a note every single year that I would go up to the physical education teacher, hand it to them. I would also not make eye contact, right? I had absorbed and internalized a lot of the external messaging about how I should feel about myself, right? So in that instance that happened every single year, I wasn't—I never used my voice, right? It was let me play small, you know, the kind of the theme you were talking about earlier. Mm -hmm. And this note 
don't even make eye contact. Then I walk away and I continue feeling small. And then I'm the last kid picked because I had already given the note to the teacher that I was going to sit out on all of the activities, you know? And, and so what's interesting is, you know, I shared that story about my dad and climbing the mountain. Like now I'm like, what new physical activity can I try? You know, that, that then connects me with, you call them our ancestors. So I, I want to bring that up because I feel like the expectations are set so low for us because people see that my hand looks different or they see someone who uses a wheelchair and they assume a lot of things about our quality of life. And again, what I mentioned earlier, we as disabled people internalize and absorb those messages. And it's really hard to swim against the current. I'll use, I, I use that phrasing a lot to Brilliant. be proud in my body when external messages are telling me on a daily basis that I should feel shame. I do want to fast forward to the second part of your question, which is, you know, were there people who allowed me to play bigger and, and sit in my space and fill that space? And I had this turning point that happened in 2009, which actually ties into when I first publicly told anyone about the car accident. I was a, I was a senior in university at the time. But my background is in investment banking. So I just finished this investment banking internship. And every single week, you could go in and talk to get feedback from the recruiter as to how you were doing. And for anyone who knows anything about investment banking or watch Wolf of Wall Street, like it's very cutthroat. It's very competitive. I was like 20 years old. And I was having a hard summer internship, to be totally transparent. And so I remember walking out of this feedback session with recruiter and I had known her for like three or four years. So, so this comment wasn't coming out of the blue, but she said, Hey, Tiffany, I want you to know that you deserved your place here and that you don't need to have a chip on your shoulder. And I don't know if I'd call that a call out or a call, a call in, but what it was, was someone was calling me out and saying, Tiffany, you are playing really small and you don't need to. And that actually became the inspiration for a lot of the disability advocacy I work, work I do now, which is, why are we setting the expectations so low? What if we set them not like astronomically high, but to a place where we as disabled people are humanized to say, okay, you know, what, what are your career aspirations? Like, what are your dreams? And let's figure out how we can help you get there. So that's, that's my response to your question around, you know, I, I definitely understand what it feels like when people treat me like I'm small and then I make myself small, it's all, it's all self-fulfilling in a way to now. And, and again, it's, it's, I feel like it's a, it's a daily battle. That's why I'm going to listen to the opening of this podcast every day. But again, I still feel like I'm swimming against the current when I tell people about my work or that I feel proud of the journey that I've been on. I feel in awe if I anchor myself to a past version of myself, but then they're like, how can you be proud to be disabled? Oh, I can't imagine that. Or, oh, I could never do that. And I was like, uh, I'm pretty sure I didn't like wake up one day and say, you know, I want to be in a car accident and, and paralyze part of my part of my body. Just probably like you would say, like you probably wouldn't have wanted that injury that left you in that wheelchair for a little bit. But we figure it out, you know, in, in Marie Forleo's, the title of her book, everything is figure outable. Yeah, I just feel in awe that I I figured it out. You know, it's, it's, I love that you're talking about that. And I think it's really good because there's something that I always, cause I've gone through a lot of help things in my life. And the thing is that I find, which is very fascinating to me is this idea that 
a lot of times when I was in a lot of those situations and situations that I've been in recently and all kinds of things that I've gone through in my life, I always look at the reason why I spiral into feelings of losing hope or depression or any of these things is because I start to categorize my life in a way that I think it should be. So I look at my life and go, it should be like this. And if it's not like that, then this isn't fair, you know? And, and so a lot of times I realize that human suffering is created by the idea of what people think life should be or whatever we've been sold by the world to believe what a good life looks like versus what life really is, right? And, and really understanding that from that perspective, we're able to shift ourselves and saying, okay, the way I shifted myself and going through all the things was just like, this is what my life is right now. It doesn't mean it's going to be like this forever, but this is what it is right now. But if I can make myself depressed or angry or upset or whatever, because I keep comparing myself to what I think life's supposed to be or what other people's lives are, then I suffer, you know? And I think that there's a really strong awareness of how we as human beings have been programmed to look at our life versus understand our life and really be a, a participant in our life experience, you know, where people say, Oh, I can never go through that. Um, you don't know, uh, you know, because you're not in it right now, but you have other things that maybe, you know, I could say I could never go through, but again, that's your life. So who am I to say what is possible for you or what is it possible for you? Mm-hmm. Um, and so my question is, you know, you're a power, you've powerfully created the company Diversability, which is rebranded uh, disability through community and supporting people creating uh, disability pride, which by the way, hats off. If I had a hat, I would definitely take the hats off to you, but I'm saying it to you. Can you, based on what I was explaining to you, can you share how we can become better allies to the disability community with this knowledge and um, awareness? Yeah. So oftentimes when we have questions around equity, it can be really hard to envision what systems change actually looks like. So I'm going to share, I'm going to share kind of a, a funny story. So a couple of years ago, I had the opportunity to attend a networking dinner. And networking dinners have been my kryptonite in a way because I can only use one arm. So how do I tear the bread off the bread basket? When the steak comes out, how do I, how do I cut it? How do I, how do I engage in the conversation that's happening without thinking through all the logistics of what is happening? So the reason why I wanted to share the networking dinner. So I was at this networking dinner and uh, the networking dinner was about human-centered design. And it was uh, the person at my table who was facilitating it was Will I Am of the Black Eyed Peas. Anyway, so, yeah, got so, it. so so we were at this dinner and I'm sitting next to Will I Am. I, I didn't know what the layout of the, of the dinner was going to be. And we're talking about human-centered design and the meat dish comes out. And I remember kind of just jumbling my fork and my knife to kind of make it look like I was going to try to figure out how to eat this. And Will I Am, who was still uh, facilitating the conversation, 
He literally just pulls my plate over to him. He cuts my meat while he's still facilitating the conversation. And then he pushes the plate back and then voila. And the reason why I wanted to share that story, and of course it's cool that it's Will I Am, but it, it doesn't matter who that person is, is that I want us to not necessarily generalize the disability community because disability is an experience that is so diverse, right? But even though we call it a community, what unites us as a community is that we all have this shared experience of being oppressed in one way or another and a shared of experience of either having to life hack or be resilient through it. Mm -hmm. Right. But the individual experiences in, in themselves are highly individualized. So all of that said, in that particular case, being an ally to me was, can you help me cut my meat? And that's something, you know, like I, I don't think that's going to be like the groundbreaking soundbite out of this podcast episode, but it's really how can we view everyone on an individual level to think about what do you need in this particular moment in time? Right. But if I do, if I do want to take a step back and think about it on the systemic level, it's really again coming back to if there's one assumption or one thing I want people to just relearn, it's that disability doesn't mean bad. Disability means human. And not only disability doesn't mean bad, but can you confront your own discomfort with the disabled body and say, okay, what assumptions are coming up for me right now? Where did they come from? And how can I pattern interrupt to then say, let me go ask that person, you know, of course, if I know them or if it looks like they may need some support, like what kind of support do they need in that particular moment? And if they say they don't, they don't need any support, then that's fine, right? I really want to combat the assumptions that people make that they see that I can't use one of my arms and then they assume all of these things of what I can or what I can't do. And I think so much of what happened in that internship example that I shared was someone let me try. There was an opportunity to fail. And I actually think, you know, I think there are podcasts called like failing forward or like failure is failures, never failure. You know, the, the, all, the, all the inspirational quotes around failure is like, let me try. Like, why are we so scared of letting someone who has a different body or has a mind who works differently, like try and navigate the world or try and make the world better. How can we make our external environment more supportive so that those of us who have different bodies and our minds can, can navigate it in the best way possible? Um, yeah, I think so too. I think that I, and I, I want to go into what you were just saying right now, because I have a lot of thoughts about that. But I think also too, when we look at the, the, the understanding of what's happening on the planet, right? Um, with human development, we understand that human development is based on an idea of perfectionism. It's based on an idea of needing some idea of perfection, right? And I think that the reason why people are not able to move into that space so easily is because they are afraid of letting go of that model for the vision of humanity. And I think the more going back to what you're saying about your story, about the, about the dinner with the steak cutting, it's not so much about us as human beings looking and just, you know, living our lives, but it's about being attentive. There's a, an attentive quality in the nature of being a human being that we are still moving through when it comes to emotional intelligence. Mm. Because, right? Because if you think about it, 
it's not that will I am is just will I am. It's will I am has had an experience through life that has made him attentive to the needs, to the support, to the love of others, regardless if it's race, sexuality, male or female, rich or poor, you know, whatever it may be. Right. And I think that because people hold on to this idea of that, if they are to not see the perfection, that somehow it affects their lives instead of them seeing that the more attentive we are as human beings and individuals, we create a collective resurgence of support that changes uh, not only the viewpoint, but also the way we structure our planet. I mean, because it was only a short amount of time before people who had disabilities, even the Vietnam vets and people who are coming back from different war zones and different experiences would have the support that they needed to just go into a grocery store, Mm -hmm. you know, or park their car or, you know, whatever it may be, right? We didn't see it as something important until someone actually did. And again, we're not at the place where, and this is why I respect a lot of what you're doing. We're not at the place where we need to be on a global level in society as being a human being that is attentive, right? To create, because then that creates new structures, right? Through that attentiveness. And so, what is the importance? of democratizing disability, visibility, and how are you continuing to do this through your initiatives? Yeah. Wow. I feel like I want to unpack. I want to unpack what you just said. So you call it attentiveness. I call it situational awareness. We could call it self-awareness. I'd like to live aspirationally is I guess what I'll say. (laughs) Um, in, In the sense that there's a saying when, you know, when I go and give corporate presentations around how to be a better ally to disabled people is that ending discrimination starts with self-reflection, right? And I love the way that you're able to reflect back to me in that dinner situation that will I am. And, you know, I've shared this story publicly before. So hopefully will I am and his people like, don't come back to me and be like, can you stop talking about cutting the meat? Um, uh, Will's cool. He's cool. He doesn't care about those things. <laughs> um, that he's had experiences so that he has that level of attentiveness, right? And we don't know what experiences it, what what experiences are tied to what identities he's had, mm-hmm. right? He holds. But how can more of us operate at that level of consciousness, right? I mean, that is so much of the the level of of the work that you play in. So I just wanted to name that. And I also wanted to say, if people really wanted to do something right away, if they didn't want to take the, the opportunity to self-reflect or be more self-aware and really, really confront what beliefs they had around disability and, and how they may or may not be harmful, uh, you can also just hire disabled people and pay them well. Uh, so that's kind of just like, here's how we move the needle on, you know, enabling people to have what they need to thrive, right? You mentioned the Vietnam vets as well and, and the parking spots. And again, it's really thinking through what as human beings, right? Which you're saying some of us are not at that level of attentiveness yet. How can we provide each person what they need to thrive? Yeah. 
Uh, all of that said, I, I will answer your question, though, about democratizing disability visibility is one of the things I grew up feeling was that my story didn't matter. Like, only one of my arms is paralyzed, you know, like I wasn't full paraplegic, you know, and then I went through this phase of like thinking, I'm not disabled enough to be talking about this issue. And I think what I realized and why I talk about democratizing disability visibility is who decided whose stories got to be told, right? right? And so many of us go around thinking that disability only looks like a certain thing. It looks like a Vietnam War vet. It looks like a person in a wheelchair, right? This is why I also brought up PTSD on your podcast because people think that PTSD only looks like a certain thing, not, you know, a 33-year-old woman who feels like she's thriving, right? They're like, oh, but you didn't come back from war or, you know, like nothing looks like anything, <laughs> um, which again, I think is an elevated level of consciousness, right? So for me, it was- Well said. Not only are, dis for, again, we all, I, I do a lot of work with the disability community, but again, I also want to highlight how individualized our experiences are and how valid they are too. And the fact that I spent 12 years thinking that no one cared about my story so that I didn't care about my story and I didn't care about myself, that doesn't feel good, right? And so again, for me, it's how can we flood whether it's consciousness or social media or whatever, whatever, whatever avenue you want to pick, how can we just share that disability doesn't just look like one thing and that you're, and I think a lot of these like actually transcend disability, but that's the, that's the place where I have found my community. Like your story matters. Mm -hmm. If you were born with it, it matters. If you acquired it as a kid, it matters. If you, don't want to tell anyone about it, it still matters, right? But again, you know, 70% of disabilities are not visible. So they don't have like a mobility device that they use that you can see. And yet most of the people that we see advocating for disability do have visible disabilities because the 70%, you know, look at the way we treat people who have visible disabilities and say, ooh, I don't want to be treated like that. Or when they are vocal, people say, oh, but you don't look disabled or, or you're not really disabled. And I think there was something you said earlier, which is we just don't want to invalidate anyone's story and where they are. Absolutely and, not. And so I actually discovered you through Bling Empire and then literally a day after I saw you on Clubhouse. And, and I wanted to bring that in because the first line of my Clubhouse bio used to say, I'm a human who's healing. And I think back to the way that you introed me on this podcast and yes, I can be a powerhouse and yes, I can also be healing. And oftentimes I think we think that those things are mutually exclusive, but I kind of digress from your original question about the, about democratizing, democratizing visibility. But, but again, it's how can, how can we let people know who, whether they've been through, you know, and in, within our community, we, we feel so intimately experiences of social isolation and social exclusion that like, I don't want you to feel isolated anymore. I don't want you to feel excluded anymore. Here is a platform to share your story and share it in a way so that people either relate to you and they connect with you on a deeper level. Because again, again, the TLDR is that disability isn't bad. Disability is human. And how can we connect on that human level? Absolutely. You know, um, several things you said there. A lot of people like to play the game of 
I don't want to be a pity party. So I'm not going to share, um, you know, my story or whatever it may be because they feel that that's how people are going to receive it. So they kind of just shut it down. And what we have to understand is that it's not about being a pity party. It's about being able to be a torch of experience. And I think a lot of times people don't understand that a torch of experience means that every human being on this planet has gone through an experience, not for the sake of just because they had to go through that experience, but the experience that they came to earth to have, regardless if it's a car crash or if they won the lotto or if they went through horrible abusive relationships, it could be a multitude of many different experiences. Every time a human being chooses to sign up for one of those experiences, they are actually shifting consciousness through the way in which they choose to accept the fullness of that experience and then share the story. There's an old saying in shamanism that says a tribe cannot grow without stories. And so every time in tribal culture, the elders would share the stories of the triumphs, of the difficulties, of the loss, of the different things. And what it did is it shaped the people, it shaped the dynamics of how they were able to grow and, um, and grow through those experiences that are being shared, to learn things that they didn't know, and to create more awareness of thriving and more awareness of attentiveness. And the reason why I talked about attentiveness earlier, being attentive, is because we say in shamanism, the act of being attentive is a person who is aware of themselves in everyone. So there's, it's the acknowledgement that when you're an attentive person to yourself, you're also attentive to other people. You're attentive to the trees, you're attentive to the flowers. So your, your walk of life is a different walk. And I think that, um, you know, and what you were talking about is so important for us as human beings to really meditate and look at how we're going to be able to elevate consciousness which allows us to elevate our choices. And a lot of times people think that, you know, people say, oh, well, you know, I don't understand what that whole, you know, whole thing is about. But for me, like when I died in the hospital and I was in a coma for so long and a wheelchair and whatever, it elevated my consciousness to a point where I was able to see and perceive information differently and at different variables. So that way I, I became more powerful in my gifts. I became more, and I'm not saying you have to suffer in order to, to become more gifted. But what I'm saying is that every experience you have, you signed up for because where we come from and what we really are, we don't need to come to earth there's no purpose for us the need to come to earth. We come to earth because we sign up for experiences to demonstrate them into the world. So if we keep silent and we don't share and we don't tell the stories and we don't keep those old ancestral traditions alive. I mean, like I'm sure, you know, in Asian culture, the, and the elders of the family hold all the wisdom because they hold all the stories. So they are the ones who make all the decisions, you know? So when I was a kid, it was always like, respect your elders, respect your elders, you know? And, you know, and the elders had the stories that were passing down to us. So mm -hmm. every time they would speak, we had to shut up and listen to their stories because they were reflective to our ability to grow, perceive and relate. 
And that is an important quality. So I, 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 I want to ask you, as I'm going on a tangent, but my tangents, I, I, I like they're, they're so good. Can I, can I just, while, before this next question comes out, I want to mention something about this fear of the pity party. Yeah. And one of the things I tell people a lot is that we can't force, we can't force someone to feel someone a certain way. So someone may listen to this podcast and view Tiffany as a pity party, but ultimately how do I feel about myself? Right. And I think part of the unlearning I've done is not absorbing the way that people feel, but using that as a vehicle for conversation. So I I just wanted to bring that up because your fears may be realized and people may view you that way, but that you don't have to feel that way about yourself. And you can also use that as a vehicle to actually have a conversation about why they might be feeling that way. Yeah. I mean, you pretty much answered my next question. So yeah. So that's (laughs) exactly. So there you go. (laughs) Yeah. Because I think that, because I, you know, going back to what I was saying is that it's all this internal awareness versus this external awareness and the external awareness, which is the question I was going to ask you, but you answered it is not acknowledging that the external awareness that someone has does not need to be your internal awareness. And I, I'm really glad that you, you know, because I was going to ask you like, how are you unapologetically being yourself Mm. and operating in that, and that, that kind of range of awareness where that way it gives people the ability to evolve without you having to actually go to them and say, you really need to evolve because you're not taking the external and internalizing it. Can you share more about how that, how that operates for you? Yeah. I, I mean, it's still a journey and I think you said something. I feel like you and I are just amplifying each other in this whole episode. <laughs> you, you said you said something earlier about how a lot of our suffering comes from comparison. And for me, I think that's where, right? I think there's this saying, comparison is the thief of joy. And so one of the things I've been trying to really root myself in So someone asked me in a different podcast, they said, Tiffany, you've accomplished all these different things. Like, which of your accomplishments are you most proud of? And I said that I like myself. And it's a daily, hourly journey. Sometimes, you know, you open social media and you don't know what's gonna, who won what award and and things like that. But I'm just so proud that I like myself and that I can show up in the world with my story out there and not feel shame about who I am. And so the journey is really, you know, we talked about in an Asian household, a lot of the secrets. Uh, The reason why things are so secret is because they're afraid of shame. And Brene Brown has said shame festers in secrecy, silence, and judgment. And a lot of what I have been spending time doing on this journey of being more unapologetically myself is really taking a critical lens at, Tiffany, what are the areas that you have a little bit of shame in? And for example, one one recent one as of the past year was I didn't like the way that my hand looked. I have hyperextended fingers, you know, and um, and my hand is, is, you know, it's got some version of a nine-year-old's arm, arm in there. I mean, it grew a little. And 
I then went onto TikTok and I started recording a bunch of videos and I'm like, here is exactly what my hand looks like. And I got a lot of comments being like, can it be fixed? Why does your hand look like that? Why are you showing that? Again, those are the external messages, right? That we have the choice whether or not we want to absorb or not. It, I will say that is hard. It's hard to, right? I mean, this is why microaggressions are not, not so micro after a certain point in time. Right. Um, and, and, and so it's a, it's a daily practice of saying, okay, Tiffany, you had shame about that. And you put it on a video. Actually, you put it in probably like 200 videos on TikTok. And you're still here and no one canceled you. And, and even if someone did, like you were speaking your truth, right? And so oftentimes I come back to this whole idea of, I recently redefined what success looks like to me. And this ties in with the being unapologetically myself, but success is no longer the accolades. Uh, I think in my twenties, I was very achievement oriented. And now I'm just like, how can I build the best life possible for me? That when I look in the mirror every single day, I like who's showing up. Am I showing up in my truth? Am I living with integrity? That's all, right? Because, and I don't want to get too like existential or nihilistic, but at the end of the day, not much of this will matter. So how can we just have as much fun and joy and lean into who we are as possible? Because there is a reason why we were put onto this earth. And it the reason why we're put onto this earth is that so we can be ourselves, right? Like I, and, and I remember what it was like to live in a shell that wasn't myself. I remember what it feels like to have so much shame and pain around a core part of who I've become. Right. And I'm tired. I'm, I'm tired. I'm, I'm tired of living. I'm tired of living in that shell. So um, I don't want your listeners to think that it's easy, but literally it really is not only anchoring to a past self. I've, I know I've used the word awe. If I look back at like, okay, here's 33 year old Tiffany. I can't believe that nine-year-old Tiffany became who she is today. And that someone like Shaman Durek like thinks I'm interesting enough to come and want to like dig into all of this stuff. Right. And so how can my comparison, if if you do want to lean into a comparison, because it's hard not to compare, compare yourself to yourself, to a past version of yourself, then you'll start to feel proud. Right. Then on a daily, hourly, maybe minute by, by minute basis, just remind yourself that you are the gift you are the gift, just who you are. And oftentimes one of my takeaways from when I talk about disability stuff is I want people, if there are any disabled people listening to this, or if there are any people who are hurting or healing, listening to your podcast, I just want people to know that they are valuable and worthy just because they exist. And I think that our, whether it's productivity or capitalism has taught us that we need to like show something to show our worth or to show that we're, we're valuable. But I think what I'm learning, and again, why, why I, I, I want to embody this modeling of being unapologetically myself is not only to elevate others around me, you know, I think we've talked about like that, that energetic pull, mm -hmm. but also I'm here and I mattered just because I'm here. Maybe that's a little too meta, but but that's kind of what I've been meditating on these days. Actually, it's not. It's brilliant. Everything you said, it's like, woo! <laughs> I mean, a mind blown, heart, everything expanded, heart, mind expanded, soul expanded after everything you just said. Because I always tell people, 
We've been programmed into a world where we believe that the value of who we are is what we can show, what we can create, and who we know, and how popular we are. We operate from the idea that success represents material gain. Success represents all of those factors in which I've just said. Instead of success being that we live a guilt-free life, uh, a life removed from shame, um, a life moved from embarrassment, a life moved from us feeling we need to meet some expectation to make someone like us. And we actually see ourselves and we acknowledge and accept ourselves. And when I was a kid, I'll tell you, so when I was a kid, I was put down so much for the color of my skin for my the growing up in um, a household that was Asian, um, most all my friends were Japanese, Taiwanese, Korean, and Chinese. I spent all my time. That was my best time with all of them because we would have our stamp collection and we would uh, have fun and, and play piano and do. It was just we we, we it was just perfect, you know, and. And that people made fun of me so much and made fun of me because of the color of my skin. They used to always say, oh, when you smile, that's the only time we can actually see you. And so I used to always cover my mouth when I smiled and never showed anyone my teeth when I would smile. And um, I felt shameful. I felt embarrassed. And it wasn't until I got older that one day a friend of mine pulled my hand away from my mouth and I could see myself smiling. And it was in this moment where I accepted and acknowledged that I don't care anymore. And it's that point where you get exhausted of keeping up the facade, of keeping up the mirage. It takes so much energy to stay in disillusionment mm -hmm. than it does to come into a place of self-acceptance. And I realized I don't have to, to gain anyone's approval, but I do have to gain my own approval because I have to feel good within myself. And so I really don't want to say anything else because what you said, I want it to really marinate into people's entire being on all levels of their being. And I think if anyone is listening to how amazing this podcast is that you would take the time to rewind and go back to that entire part where you spoke until you really digest the wisdom and the profound understanding of what life is all about on a core level. So I don't even want to ask any more questions. I don't want to go anywhere else. I want to say thank you. I love you. I appreciate you. I honor you, your wisdom. I honor everything that you're doing and being for you that makes it possible for us to be for ourselves. I really honor you. How can people get in touch with you? Yeah, a moment of praise and gratefulness is, is, is here and present. Thank you. Thank you. That means a lot. So if you want to follow me, 
Uh, it's I'm Tiffany U across social channels. That's the letter I, the letter M, followed by Tiffany U. And also, I remember back in the day, I I slid into Shaman Dirk's DMs. I think I was listening in a one year clubhouse, and you sent me a voice note that was very kind. Um, and if you want to follow diversibility, you know, if you want to see the embodiment of our community, just live in our best lives, you can follow us across social media at diversibility. That's D I V E R S. A-B-I-L-I-T-Y. What did I say when you slid into my DMs? I forget. Uh, what did you say? You'll have to go back and look at the DMs too. Yeah, I, I'm going to do I think that. I, was just, I think I was acknowledging you had mentioned something about, um, and actually you touched on it a little bit in this episode, around, around people making fun of you or diminishing you because of the color of your skin. And I think that, you know, for both of us as people of color who look different, different genders and different races, I, I experience that on a different level. And so we're all just, we're all just, I don't even know how to beautiful. finish that sentence. We're, we're, all all just, just, beautiful. we're all just, we're just creation, you know? Yeah. yeah. I mean, all my, when I was in school, a lot of my Asian friends, people would say, Oh, look at you, look at your eyes. You're so weird and this and that. And I was always defending them you know, and being like, why they're beautiful. Like, what are you talking about? You know, but it was interesting because it was that, it was that whole stigma of jealousy um, that I noticed in a lot of people in school over my Asian friends, because I mean, I mean, look, I grew up in an Asian household. I don't think there was a moment where I had a chance to breathe when it came to like my piano lessons, studying my math, doing this, doing that. You know, my, my, my stepmom was quite, uh, diligent. I would say, or diligent, however you want to call it. Cause I call it villages because she was an intense, you know, um, there was no room for mistakes. There was no room for like, you had to keep excelling. And so I can see a lot of people having a difficulty with that. Um, growing up with a lot of, with a lot of my Asian friends. And I always was coming to their defense, you know, and even today, like with what's going on in the world, with a lot of the um, Asian hate that's going on, you know, I brought it to attention on clubhouse and no one wanted to hear anything I had to say. And I kept saying, no, it's a real issue. And everyone's like, no, that's not happening. You know? And I was literally sharing it and sharing it and sharing it and getting all my Asian friends and finally being like, this is a real deal situation. You guys like people are getting hurt because they're Asian and their people are attacking them because of the whole coronavirus and situation. And, and, and one of my friends, grandmother couldn't even walk around the street anymore, which she loves to do her walks because of that situation, you know, and people getting pushed and beat up and no one took it seriously. And then all of a sudden, Every time I would do a room, I I I say, like, let's let's give some awareness to Asian culture. Let's give awareness to this. And everyone was like, What are you writing me DMs? Like, what are you talking about? Why are you focusing so much on this? Every time you come on Clubhouse, you're mentioning let's give awareness to Asian culture and let's talk about protecting more Asian people from getting these types of abusive situations happening. But no one wanted to see it. And it was interesting because the people who actually started to step up were a lot of my friends of color because they remember and they still remember because it happens to them all the time. They live in a world where we're always having to negotiate for our existence. Mm. And, and that negotiation for our existence 
is something that has to come to an end on planet Earth. Yes. Period. Yes. yes. I mean, I think back to what we, when we were talking about being unapologetic ourselves, and it's like, yes. And I want to be able to, and I want me and you to both be able to walk outside and feel safe, right? I think there's a level of safety that we didn't get to mention in our in our thing, but yeah, the the negotiation, wow, powerfully said. So I'm just, I, yeah. So I just, I love you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much, Sean and Dory. I can't wait. Um, yeah, I can't wait to see how this ends up turning out. This was a pleasure. It's a pleasure, and it's an honor. Thank you. I've created the Healing Temple because people all over the world want and need healing, but don't have the access to those healers or can't afford them. One of the biggest high-ticket items in the world today is remote healing, but some sessions cost hundreds to even thousands of dollars. And for only $10, the Healing Temple is a collective space for people to come together every Friday for 30 minutes. Participants are opening a wellspring of abilities, alleviating stress and brain fog, where the mind becomes more optimized and performance-based, and where you learn to utilize energy to up-level your consciousness. The Healing Temple also helps to break down walls where you begin operating in awareness of wellness, feeling ambitious and inspired like things are really changing in your life. Inside the Healing Temple, you're also stepping into a world where you might experience phenomenons that you thought wasn't possible. Something as small as a chill or the hair standing on the back of your neck becomes like an opening door. Some members have even said they've experienced increased psychic abilities and that these sensations have intensified with following sessions. I've trained my powers to impact change and I've learned how to get results. Who doesn't want to feel good? The Healing Temple is not only beneficial to you, but also to those around you. Because when you're feeling good, you shine that positive energy onto others. Your partner, your children, co-workers, even your dog or your cat. Everyone around you begins to feel better because you are feeling better. It's a rippling effect that's much needed on this planet. We need the Healing Temple more than ever right now because of all of that's happening in the world, the social political structures, calamities, chaos, and feelings of hopelessness and despair. The social climate is on high and this pressure cooker is taking a negative toll on how many of us feel. The Healing Temple offers comfort on a global level because when more people are feeling good, the more kindness, generosity, and realness is generated. For only $10, I invite you to become part of the community that seeks to do good, to feel good, and to make this world a better place. Go to shamandurek.com and click the Healing Temple to join our wellspring of healing, restoration, and elevated consciousness. See you in the temple. Thank you so much for tuning in to Ancient Wisdom Today podcast. Tribe, I love you all so much. And if you want to stay connected, be sure to check me out on IG at Shaman Durek. And if you have any questions whatsoever, please visit shamandurek.com or contact info at shamandurek.com to learn more. And remember, tribe, no matter what, stay lit. <laughs>